Welcome to Trinity University's Learning Together podcast series. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, your host. This series features faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who have established themselves as experts in their fields. As part of the university's lifelong learning initiative designed especially for alumni, this podcast series includes discussions and presentations on a variety of subjects, and today we're talking about music. I've known pianist Carolyn Shrew ever since I was a student at Trinity. I would see her around the hall in the music department. And when I started working at Texas Public Radio here in San Antonio, I started following Carolyn's work as a professional musician as well as educator. She's one-fourth of the talented new music group, Soli Chamber Ensemble, and she's passionate about sharing her love of music. Today's conversation is about creative power, building life skills through music study. This is a great talk with Carolyn True, who's a professor of music at Trinity University, and music minor Jessica Abel, class of 2012. All right. Hi, Dr. True. Hi, Jessica. Oh, man. It's so, it's so uh, exciting and good to be here, um, having graduated, what, seven years ago? Can't believe uh, it. To sit down and get to reflect with you is a really great opportunity. For me as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited and grateful for this. Um, but we had decided we were going to talk about uh, creative power, right? Building life skills through music study. And um, we're going to reflect together on that, hopefully with me taking the lead and asking you some questions that can kind of get us moving forward on that topic. So um, let's start from a more practical, like foundational perspective. Okay. Um, can you speak to some of the practical life skills? Um, so if, if music... If the study of music um, sort of invokes two kinds of life skills, practical work-related ones and communicative ones, can you speak to the practical ones first? Absolutely. Well, I think one of the most important practical skills one learns while you're learning music is problem solving. You are first given a piece of music and you are translating a score which involves several levels of foreign language translation. First, you have dots on or symbols on a page that you translate into different lengths and types and pitches of sound. And then you group them and then you start thinking about translations and what is a word by word translation and what is a contextual translation. And then you have to solve the problem of how do I actually create these sounds? What is in my mind? What is on the page? How can I put all of those things together? And it goes from the very, very practical of what, for example, if we're talking about piano, what finger is going to hit what pitch? How long am I going to stay on that? Is my arm going to get involved? Is my wrist going to get involved? How am I naturally going to adapt myself and use my body in the most natural way to create a beautiful musical sound? That's just the first level. Then you can be talking about, for example, technical issues. What is something that you have to solve in terms of something that is stretching your technical prowess? Do you have a speed issue? Do you have a jumping around the keyboard issue? What is that problem? And how are you going to efficiently solve that problem? It goes from the very little 
to the very great when you're dealing with problem solving in music. Another thing that is really wonderful in terms of practical life skills are the, is the ability to be identifying patterns. As you're reading music, as you're listening to music, as you're identifying how the music is created in terms of an, um, analyzing it, you're always looking for patterns. And this is something that all of my students across the campus are looking to look at identify patterns, whether it be a pattern of a chemical formula or a pattern of numbers in math or a pattern, a repeating pattern in poetry or a rhyme scheme. All of this comes together. Um, another very good practical life skill is that of confidence. When you are particularly playing or singing um, music in any way, shape or form, you are contributing your musical voice and you have to learn that your musical voice is valid and even though there are millions and millions of pianists and millions and millions of clarinetists like you millions and millions of singers that your voice is unique and what you have to bring to the table will forever change whatever piece it is that you're looking at another practical skill, self-discipline. People talk about creating music and practicing music and being in ensembles and being in piano lessons as fun. And that's great, but it's not always just fun. <laughs> there's a lot of hard work as you remember. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of evaluation and elaboration and again, creatively figuring out what's going on if you sit down and you play the same passage five times in a row without mentally being there you are not building confidence you are training muscles to do something by rote which we have plenty of computers <laughs> <laughs> don't you think absolutely absolutely um one of the things that jumps out at me about these skills um, that you've talked about are it is pattern recognition um, because I find that that skill is also a way that I have been asked to justify English study. Um, recently, I was asked to guest teach uh, a course for singer, senior en English majors at UTSA uh, looking to go on the job market for the first time. And... Um, I explained to them, as was once explained to me at Trinity, that when you choose an English major, right, you're choosing to make your own path. And um, you use this skill of pattern recognition of um, if you read a Charles Dickens novel, you are trying to infer something about what it was like to live in that time. Right. You weren't there. You don't know. But you're you're learning to recognize things that indicate something larger and um identifying that across works and you use that same skill in, in any corporate setting you go and you do a job and you're expected to learn what is the context here what is the the audience that I'm reaching even if it's not what we might think of as a creative audience um, how, how do you think that if that's the way in which um, that kind of uh, uh, identification of patterns has influenced your life. What do you think music has brought to your life in terms of problem solving? 
Oh, an, an enormous, enormous amount, I think. Um, so for a little background, right, I uh, had the sort of classic um, elementary school music experience, right? I started with the recorder, moved to the clarinet. So I have been playing music for really m my entire life. Um, but the piano was not something that came until much later. Uh, I did not start playing piano until I was 12 or 13 years old. Um, and I was fortunate that I, I was really passionate about it. But um, what I had come to understand about music in the 12 years of my life before I came to the piano uh, was much different right, than what I was capable of doing on the piano with my hands as I started to do lessons. And I have found um, that dis that gap between what I could play and what I knew people could play um, to be a big challenge in my life, something that I brought through piano study in, at the college level um, and constantly negotiating, all right, uh, I have this wonderful opportunity to study piano with Dr. True in her studio, um, which was mostly made up of music majors, of people who were doing piano performance and understanding, coming back to the point you made about your musical voice, right, and seeing that I was developing and had a musical voice, right, that had the merit and that was was saying something that mattered just as much right as somebody with six or eight more years of technical skill you know it's interesting one of the things that you said is that you knew what you wanted to hear and you, you there was that space in between what you wanted to hear and what you could produce and that doesn't matter where you are in the learning process i do that every time i sit down at the piano it's like i look at a score i know what I want it to sound like, and you go about making that happen, regardless of whether it's a student's first time at a piano way back when, when you're just learning how to play with your five fingers as independent things, to when you're playing much more complicated Grieg or something else. Yeah, absolutely. And that sort of um, brings us back, I think, uh, to the other part, right, of the question that I asked you, which was, all right, if we think about the life skills that the study of music brings, um, we can artificially divide it into memorization, problem solving, things like that. But there's another component, which is communication. So um, can you speak to how the study of music um, fosters communication skills or how you've observed that happening? Absolutely. One of the things we have to remember, and I'm talking about live music in particular, is that by physics, by the nature of the way things work, if there is one person in the room with you and you are playing or singing or creating music in some way, that sound is going through that other person. It is changed by the nature of that person being in the room. As audiences grow, that absolutely physiological connection from one person to another is exponentially changed. And so not only are we talking about the esoteric, what are we doing in terms of emotionally communicating and connecting with oftentimes strangers to the I am changing people's physiology by the set by the fact that I'm just playing some music and one of the things that people always talk about music being the universal language and that's 
that's a great catchphrase. However, that implies that it's one, one language, and that is very limiting. I think that music has so many variables to it that every single voice can read the same notes, the same rhythms, the same register, and there will be hundreds of options and variations for how that particular phrase or piece will go. And by nature of those choices, the emotional impact is completely different. And that is where we as musicians have to delve into the music itself, delve into the um, musical theoretical analysis, delve into the contextual being that is that piece. What was the composer? Where was that person? Was she or he in the middle of something um, personally that was affecting their music or not? And frankly, some people would rather audience members, some audience members don't care about that. Some care very much about that. What we all want is for the music to communicate something. Absolutely. Um, It strikes me too that many of those same considerations are ones that you have to navigate when you're preparing to present anything, um, right? Absolutely. Anything even in words. If you're giving a speech, um, you're thinking a lot about your different audiences Uh, and the kinds of things they're expecting to hear or or expecting you to deliver. Um, So I think there is a great deal to be said for a music study in terms of how it teaches you to communicate, especially, I think, in an ensemble or group setting. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to the conversation with Professor Carolyn True and Jessica Abel. So could you speak a little bit about your chamber experience and how you navigate working within that kind of group without a conductor sort of leading you forward? Sure, sure. One of the beauties of chamber music is that without a conductor there, you are dependent on both listening, which I can't believe it's taken us 20 minutes to talk about (laughs) listening, which is the the most important thing in, in music. But you listen not only to yourself, but you're listening to others. For example, when I'm teaching chamber music, a lot of times we're talking about, well, you need to finish this conversation. You need to establish a dialogue between the two instruments. So one person can play or sing a phrase in one way, and the way in which they set it up, the other person will respond. It's just like in theater. It's just like in, as you were speaking, In a speech, you will be reading your audience when you are giving speeches and you will know, oh, they're kind of they're kind of losing it here. So I'm going to speak a little bit more quickly or I'm going to change the pitch of my voice or I'm going to punch out some words a little bit more than others. The beauty is composers have done that for us. They've given us lots and lots of expressive marks and we study to know what those 
marks indicate for them. But then again, we have more options that we can go further and we can communicate with others. So when we're in a chamber setting, the beauty is the music will not be solely my idea. I will be influenced, inspired, challenged uh, by all of my colleagues. And the music that we make together as a group is going to be completely different. If you're dealing with a conductor, you have a different level of individual responsibility. You have a conductor whose vision, whose aural vision is telling you where you want this piece to go. It doesn't mean that the individuals are not responsible for their own voices. They are, but it's this creative collective that the conductor is helping bring something to bear. Absolutely. Um, and it, it strikes me, too, that there are parallels here um, coming, as I have just done from my eight to five job, um, the difference between working on a team to produce a product and working with leadership in producing the product, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding um, that however much I would like this project to go one way, it's going to go the way that we as a collective uh, bring it forward. And um, I hope, right, that students at Trinity, um, but students everywhere who study music are able to bring a little bit more of that to things like group work in a classroom, where often group work gets done by one person because they're worried all the other people are not going to do their part, <laughs> right? Um, and I think when you study music, you develop a little bit of that patience, a little bit of that muscle um, that you can endure, right? It's not all going to go exactly how I thought it would. And a lot of times you hope you end up with something better yeah. right, than you would have done on your own. Well, and I think you, you touched on the, the fact that we have this individual responsibility to our part of the whole. And that's in a group project in a class, in a presentation, in any kind of group project that you have in the eight to five job. What is our individual responsibility? How do you bring that to the table? How do you continue that conversation so that you don't inflict your will upon others, but it becomes a collaboration. And that's one of the best things I think about musical study is to learn where that balance is and how to treat it. Just like we're having this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a few other things that I wanted to sort of touch on with you while we uh, talk about this. If we're talking about creative power um, and studying music in the context of lifelong learning, um, I'm interested in audiences of, of all different musical interests or skill levels. And I, I think one of the myths that people bring to the study of music is that you have to be talented, that there's no point for you to do music unless you have talent. So can you address sort of that myth for me? Absolutely. I think one of the things that um, my spouse tends to talk about in terms of piano playing is that it's typing. <laughs> and at the bottom line, that's what you're doing. You're pushing down notes in the right way, in the right order, at the right time. What is not typing is the fact that there are so many variations on how you can depress that key, how much force, how long you hold it, all of those things. And 
there are things that talent innately or a gift or whatever you call all that stuff um, gives you a different sense of listening. However, this is also a skill. Listening is a skill. Everyone knows that there are those people in our lives who are fantastic listeners. There are people in our lives who do the opposite of that. And what we do as musicians is listen not only to others, but to ourselves and understand ourselves maybe a little bit better by the nature of of playing a musical instrument, of singing, of experiencing that creation. I was talking with someone the other day uh, about anger. And, uh, you know, anger isn't one of those emotions we like to feel. And it is part of us and it is part of what we do. And we have limits for where we think that anger should go. When I'm playing the piano, I have no limits. Hmm. I can get as angry as I want, not personally, but through the music, if the music is demanding that. And I think it's an incredible resource for any human being. I love teaching any age group. And I am very fortunate that in addition to teaching at Trinity, I work with young students and I work with adult students. And I mean, adult past college age, let's be clear there. Hmm. And to understand different kinds of priority levels, different values, different uh, ways in which music is playing in their lives, it means that we have different goals in their lessons as they're moving forward. Great. Uh, Thanks for that. I'm really interested in um, adult students of music since that's sort of now, right, how I see myself um, moving forward. but you know one of the um one of the things that happened to me when i was in graduate school and i would bring up my music study and you know doing a phd is really hard and you're expected to spend all of your time um even time you don't actually have right (laughs) on on your work and on work in your field so when i would pursue piano lessons or tell my professors that I played music, um, they were often really surprised. And some of them would parse it as, okay, cool, so then you understand how this literature has this musical component in it. And I'm like, okay, but that's not really... <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> that's not really what music you know, is doing for me here. But I did have an experience where um, someone reflected to me that they felt that their success in life and they're a well-established person um, was due to the fact that they had limited fewer, like fewer interests, right? They had chosen some interests very carefully and those were the ones that they pursued. And they expressed to me that I should consider doing that um, (laughs) so that I can be successful, right? So can you uh, sort of address that particular myth and talk about how you and your students, right, have benefited from taking the opposite approach? I teach at Trinity and my students are gifted, talented, interested, passionate about many, many different areas of study, experience, and I feel that it only makes them stronger human beings. 
Yes, I think there are times when we have to be narrowly focused. Absolutely. Um, any, I had the same experience when I was getting my DMA and when I was getting my doctorate, just being music, 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 being, experiencing, only practicing eight hours a day and studying. It's, it is a very narrow focus and it served me well. Getting your PhD served you well in that kind of focus when that focus was happening. However, one hopes that in order to have something to say or to have um, the ability to evaluate, elaborate, experience, reflect upon anything that one does, you have to have a wealth of experience. That's why we want our students to make sure that they have a foreign language. That's why we want our students to study abroad so that there is a wealth of information out there, a wealth of things to be passionate about and to bring to the table when you are creating music. So saying that one should only do one thing while I think that, yes, one should be focused. And as, as we go through life, we have to make some tough choices in terms of what we can and cannot do. I also think there are ways in which we can keep these other things in our lives. They just change in terms of the priority of where they are in our lives. In my own experience with these things, finishing up, graduate school, I found that music and art and other creative arts and activities, um, even exposure to those activities, right? Not just making something with my hands, but just going to a museum or listening to something um, at a concert was one of the things that that fed my soul and that sort of helped me get through, right? The, the extensive focus on one project, the dissertation. So looking forward um, and kind of bringing our conversation to an organic uh, conclusion, even if you as a lifelong learner are not currently pursuing arts like music or like um, another creative field, you can still right, benefit from a lot of these things in terms of listening right, to live music. So could you speak a little bit about that, the role of live music um, in the human experience now? Well, just to conclude, I cannot enforce how important live music is. We experience something together being in a live musical event. It will never be repeated. There will never be the same variables as those that are on hand when everyone is in that same room when you're playing those particular pieces, when the weather is what it is out, outside, where you ate what you ate before you came into the room, where you had trouble parking or not, when you are in that room, you are experiencing something that is unique and life-changing. So thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. It's been wonderful, and I hope that everyone will listen to all of these podcasts. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.